Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I'm speaking to Marissa Peer, internationally award-winning hypnotherapist and creator of the multi-award-winning Rapid Transformational Therapy, RTT. Marissa is the founder of IamEnough.com, international best-selling author, motivational speaker, personal development expert and leading celebrity therapist. Marissa has been named Britain's Best Therapist by Men's Health magazine. She is a major contributor to the press and has appeared on numerous TV shows and media outlets. I'm honoured to have Marissa on the podcast today and to hearing her wisdom and insights. Let's get to the interview. Hi, Marissa. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm so glad you asked me. Thank you for having me. So Marissa, for people that don't know you, please would you introduce yourself to the listeners? Yes, my name's Marissa Peer. I come from England and I founded my own brand of therapy called RTT, Rapid Transformational Therapy. I've been a therapist my entire adult life and I've written quite a lot of books on personal development and I now teach my own method. I've taught it to 10,000 students so far and growing. I'm very lucky because I love what I do and I do what I love. Thank you. So, Marissa, something that I understand you're very passionate about is sort of helping people build this sort of deep confidence and self-belief. I know as well that it's something you've worked on extensively yourself. So could you tell us a little bit about your story and how you became to be a therapist? Yes. My father was a very eminent head teacher out in Cambridge, and he was quite an innovator in that he always believed in making children feel they mattered. And so because he was such an important mentor to me, I thought I would become a child psychologist. But I realized very quickly that wasn't actually for me at all. And I left university and went across to America to teach aerobics for Jane Fonda instead, which was, I have to say, much more fun. But I always had this interest in in human behavior, psychology, what makes us tick. And of course, working for Jane in West Hollywood in the 80s, every third woman in her workout class, who was called Jane Fonda's workout studio, was bulimic or anorexic or had body dysmorphia or orthorexia. I know there's an epidemic of that now, but there seemed to be an epidemic of it then. And I was really fascinated by women's relationship with their bodies and food and how they would punish themselves and judge themselves entirely on what they weighed and what what the numbers were on the scales and indeed in their clothing. And so I loved teaching for her. It was a fantastic job. But I realized that I could go back with my interest in psychology and research why women have these terrible relationships with themselves, why they hate themselves and punish themselves and try to force their body to look different, believing that will make them happy. And I was immensely lucky that I found this amazing therapist called Gil Boyne, and I trained in hypnosis with him. And then I continued to work for Jane, and I had so many clients that I would take straight out of her classes. Well, they were my classes. I was teaching them. And eventually I had to give up being an exercise teacher because I just couldn't manage the two different careers. And I went, I just concentrated solely on being a therapist, 
which I've been my entire life. It's given me immense joy. And although I specialized initially in eating disorders and body dysmorphia and the psychology of eating issues, I actually then became a therapist for pretty much everything. Children that were being bullied, women who couldn't conceive, people with panic attacks and addictions. And I've been doing it ever since. And I love it as much now as the day I started. Mm. Thank you for sharing. Really, really inspiring story. Marissa, I know you've worked with all kinds of people and people as well who potentially have it all, you know, in terms of maybe wealth, material goods, fame. But what I love about the work you do is that you've identified common struggles that every human being is impacted by. And you've distilled those down into sort of three, I don't know if you would call them core beliefs or, or how you would frame that. But can you tell us a bit more about those underlying things that many people share? Yeah, and that's such a great question because, you know, I'm very lucky that I'm recognized as a great therapist and that recognition has allowed me to work with clients all over the world at the very top of their game who've got their own play in the houses everywhere. And you always imagine, oh, I'm going to work with some millionaire or billionaire or supermodel or actress or rock star that must be so happy And initially, I wasn't surprised, but I was fascinated that they had the same problem that I'd have with maybe working with someone who worked in a bakery or was a school teacher or perhaps worked in the city. And and I was very lucky that I managed to distill down the three things wrong with people because when you do this for your entire adult life, you know, I've been doing this now for 35 years, you begin to see that, oh, everyone has the same problem. It's why I founded the I. I'm enough movement because I realized that the common denominator of everything that's wrong with us is that we don't think we're enough. We don't feel worthy enough or attractive enough or interesting enough or successful enough. And when you don't feel enough, you can't get enough. And that's often what's behind eating disorders. I'm not enough and I need more. That could be more cake, more food. It could be I need more stuff. I'm a hoarder. I'm a kleptomaniac. I'm a compulsive spender. Or maybe I'm very needy and I need more attention. So my clients really taught me that the the number one thing wrong with people is I'm not enough. I'm not enough and I need more of something. But even when I get the more, because I'm not enough, it doesn't sate me. So that could be a, a supermodel who's got everything in the world, an amazing apartment, but still needs more. It could be someone like you and I who is always wanting more food or more attention or someone who's constantly saying, I I need more achievements. I've got this qualified. I need another one. And so that the big one is I'm not enough. And I founded the I'm not enough movement for people to join to say, look, you are enough. You, You weren't born believing you're not enough. No baby says, oh, this is a secondhand baby grow. I'm sleeping in a cardboard box and not a Dior crib and therefore I don't matter. You're not born with it. You acquire it. And some of us acquire it very quickly. But the good news is that although the common denial of our issues is I'm not enough, you can overcome that by stating I'm enough, writing it on your fridge, putting it all over your house, putting it on your screensaver, stating it and saying it over and over again. And its strength is really in its simplicity and its honesty. It sounds almost ridiculous that something so simple could be so transformational, but it really is. If you suffer with depression and phobias, just saying I am enough can be incredibly impactful. The second thing wrong with people 
is disconnection. We need to be the same. And we forget that we were raised in tribes. We all looked the same. We knew where we came from. We were sort of interrelated and we felt that we belonged. And now because we live in multicultural societies, we often feel disconnected. Maybe you're a coach working from home on your computer, getting everything delivered by Amazon. And we, we just don't connect. You know, people say, oh, I'm dating online or I've got thousands of friends online. But as a country, as a nation, we're becoming more and more disconnected. And so the second thing is different. And if I'm different, I can't connect. And in fact, the very fact that you fear fear being different actually makes you the same as everybody, because it's one of humans' greatest fear is I'm different. Because when we're born, we need to find connection and avoid rejection in order to survive. It's, it's a primal need that's wired into us. And if you feel different, it's really hard to connect. And the third thing is I want something so much, but I already know it's not available. I want to be free of depression. I've got the depression gene. I want love, but my dad left where I was born. Therefore, I can't be lovable. I want success, but I'm not smart enough. I want to be slim, but I don't know how to curb my appetite. So it's those three things. I'm not enough. I'm different, so I can't connect. And what I want is not available to me. And, and, and when I teach my students, I say, look, always look for one of those who whatever people are presenting with, you know, whether presenting with panic attacks or agoraphobia or whatever the presenting problem is, it's always going to be one of these three things. And although you must treat the presenting problem, as long as you're treating these three things at the same time, you'll get phenomenal success and it will last. And that's very important because that's what clients want. Mm. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing those. And, you know, I do love the way that you have distilled it down really simply to something that I think all of us do relate to. A lot of people walk around going, I don't know what's wrong with me. I guess I'm just messed up. I just must be. There's something wrong with me. And when you can say, actually, you know, this is what's wrong with you. It's one of these three things. And here's the good news. It is immensely fixable. You know, I was a headmaster's daughter. I went to my father's school. I couldn't have felt more like a freak if I had it painted on my forehead. And so I very well, I'm different. My dad is the head of this school. I'm different. I'm not like all the other kids. That was horrible for me. Mm. Being the same wasn't about, and I never felt enough because people thought because I was a head teacher's daughter, I'd be good and smart and academic. And I had all of those three things going on. Of course, now I look back and think, well, that was good because I really learned to understand what's wrong with people. Yes. No, it's funny, isn't it? Often our hardest times are our lessons, aren't they? So I wouldn't go back and change any of that now, although at the time I would have loved to have changed it. Mm. I love the way as well that you sort of say that, you know, when we're trying to change these beliefs, we need to sort of repeat them and like write them on the mirror. I know something that I've heard you say in your sort of videos as well is about offering yourself praise and almost saying those loving words that you would have really loved your parent to say to you that maybe were missing. Yeah, you know, having formed my own branch of therapy, my own form of therapy, we do something called the missing part of you. And, you know, when we're a child, we have very simple needs, but those needs must be met. And the child's need, the baby's need is to be connected. If I connect to my mum and she loves me, she'll feed me and I'll survive. And so 
when we're a little baby, our needs are very simple. I need to feel connected. I need to feel signal. I need to feel I matter. And I need to feel you love me because if I meet those needs, I'm going to survive on the planet. And as the baby becomes a small child, there, there are a few more. I need to feel that you are proud of me. I need to feel worthy. And the problem is that when you go through life, if those needs aren't met, a child never thinks, oh, my mom's not very well. My dad's not very smart. My, my mom is an alcoholic. Therefore, I can't get my needs met. The child never stops loving the parent when those needs aren't met. They stop loving themselves immediately and profoundly. And then they go into the world with a belief, oh, I can't get my needs met. And they either accept that or they think, well, I've got to find someone. I'm going to find this great person to meet all my needs. And they may do that, but that great person may not stay in their life. And so they go back constantly to being needy. And what I recognize with people is that if you can just look at your unmet needs, and they're all the same, an unmet need to feel valid, to feel worthwhile, to feel that someone's proud, you feel that you matter, to feel that you are lovable, to feel that you are enough. And you think, okay, why don't I start to meet that need? I'm lovable. I'm worthy. I matter. Because often we say, you know, my, my husband, my wife, they don't understand me. Or we have this belief we're going to find someone who's going to meet all our needs. And that just isn't true. I have a need for a really tidy house. My husband has a very different need. <laughs> and I have got that need. I could really get on this case and go, why can't you be tidy? Look, here's the bin. There's like six tea bags on the kitchen counter. But his need and my need are different. And when you have needs, especially when you're in a relationship and especially when you have children, you have to give up some needs. Another need, you think, well, I can meet this need. I decided I'll never again have a white kitchen counter when we would get <laughs> a gray one because then I don't have this need to go, wow, how can one tea bag be everywhere? I just don't understand. But yeah. you have to try to give up your need. So you have to take your needs. I've got these needs. So I can give up some, meet others myself. And the third set, maybe my husband can meet them. But when you realize, okay, I have a need to be celebrated. Why don't I celebrate myself? I have a need to feel I matter. Why don't I just say every day I matter? And so the missing bit of you is the praise you never got. I have clients say, my teacher never told me I mattered. My mom never said she loved me. She's dead now, but I'm still waiting for that. When you sit down and think, what do I need to hear? And I could say it to myself, and it's just the most profound and powerful thing. And so with a whole audience here, I can tell you now, if everyone every day woke up and said, I matter, I'm significant, I'm lovable, and I'm enough just the way I am, always have been, always will be. That alone would make such a difference to you and, in fact, to the world. And I know that because I have many schools that take my anti-bullying program and start to have all the children go, I'm enough, I matter. They make a little placard for their desk and they say, gosh, bullying has pretty much disappeared in this school. I've worked with people who got a lot of, significance from trolling who realized that they just didn't feel enough and they've stopped doing that completely because there is nothing on the planet that will build your self-esteem like praise but your own praise is actually better because when someone else praises you think oh what do they want or or they don't really know me they're just making that up 
which mm. may or may not. When you praise yourself, it sinks in like butter sinks into hot toast. <laughs> it doesn't, your mind doesn't go, why are you saying that? It just says, if you say it, it must be true. Mm. Yes, I think it's very powerful, isn't it? Anyway, just once you can really acknowledge that that power is within and that you can validate and accept yourself because that's there constantly, isn't it? You can access that at any time, whereas relying on external validation is very precarious, isn't it? Yeah, you could say to someone else, could you meet my need to feel special? I go, sure, I can do that. But, but what if they're not there anymore? Or what if you lose faith in them? But when you meet your need to feel that you are worthy, it never goes away. It, it's like you fall in love with yourself and that's a lifelong romance that never fades, never disappoints you. And everyone in the world should just take a minute, certainly everyone should just think about, you know, what do I need to hear? And why don't I say that to myself? Because little children, if you say, what do you think you look? They go, oh, I think I look beautiful. My daughter used to come in wearing ski boots and a little summer dress and go, mommy, I look lovely. <laughs> or I'd say, what do you think? And she'd go, well, I think I'm clever. I think I'm smart. And babies are born with a powerful innate sense of worthiness. It's really scary how quickly that can be lost, but it's also exciting how quickly you can put it back again. Mm. Yeah, and it's so encouraging to hear, isn't it, and to be reminded of that, because I think sometimes when people are just so in the depths of feeling these negative beliefs, it can almost just feel impossible to come out of that very dark well. Yeah, I think so. So Marissa as well, obviously for many people, these beliefs are quite unconscious, aren't they? And I know through your work in hypnotherapy, you will often, you know, you will kind of go back and work on the unconscious and maybe look for a trigger event that may have set someone off on this sort of unhelpful path. Could you just say a little bit more about that? Yeah, you know, the trigger events are fascinating. I'll give you an example. I worked with this man who was obese and just could not stop eating. I said, you know, I don't know what full is. I'm always hungry. I just seem to have an insatiable need to eat constantly. And obviously he was very unhappy about that, but felt he couldn't stop it. And so when I took him back to what we call the root cause, he immediately remembered being a premature baby who was whose mother was told you know, you've got to feed this baby he's got to be weighed if he doesn't gain weight he'll have to go into an incubator so she got him home from the hospital and began to feed him every hour and every time he threw up the food she would hysterically cry and get frantic say to the husband you've got to get more food in him but of course as he gained weight the mother would go oh look you're so good and they, they called him a jumbo jet because he began to gain weight and so he picked up very early as a small child. When you look at the mother who's anxious because you're not feeding, but thrilled when you are feeding, a baby takes its cues from the mother. And his belief that he thought very early on was it makes people happy when you eat and it makes them really so stressed when you don't eat. Eating is mm. a good thing. And my mum's needs are met when I eat. And, of course, the baby's needs come secondary to the mother's needs. It's the same as if your dad works as a night watchman and sleeps all day, you need to run around the garden shrieking, has to become secondary to his need for quiet. And so he began to see, oh, I see. I didn't pick this up once. It was repeated over and over again. You've got to eat, you've got to feed. And his belief was, if I don't eat, I'll die. But of course, when you weigh 400 pounds, the truth is you're more likely to die from eating the way you eat. So 
it's looking at an event with a detective like mind. Oh, I see. Look at that. Yeah. That's why I do that. So the first thing is to identify it. The second thing is to interpret it because it makes perfect sense. And remember, a child before five has no logic whatsoever, only feeling. So you, you interpret it, you investigate, and then you interrupt the belief. Yes, this makes sense. It is no longer appropriate. Yeah, when you were little, you know, your, your dad drank all the time. Oh, here's another one I've seen a lot. My dad used to get migraines every Sunday. Go, that's the price you pay for working for yourself. When you're your own boss, it's so stressful. I'm watching my dad take antacids. I'm watching my dad on antidepressants saying, you know, this job is killing me. And I formed a belief. I don't want one of those things that kills you that's called a job. And now I can see as an adult how I've sabotaged every career I've ever had because I have this belief a job kills you. If you don't eat, your mom cries. Mm. And so it's looking at something that made perfect sense to a child would make sense to anyone, but saying it no longer makes sense. I don't have to sabotage myself, deny myself love, deny myself success. But if you can't go back to the first bit and investigate it, it's very hard to fix what you don't understand. The minute you have that revelation, you can go, oh, yeah. So I understand how I got it, and now I can let go of it. You know, I was late for everything my entire adult life until I realized that my father, who was a headmaster, I always missed the bus to school. And it was like literally outside my front door. And he'd have to drive me to school furious. But I realized as an adult, oh, I did that to make him notice me. I obviously Mm. felt I must get his attention somewhere. And a child doesn't go, what's good attention? They just go, I want attention. Mm. And so I was always late. I always missed that bus. And I did that as an adult until I realized, oh, I did that to feel worthy of my dad's attention. But now Mm. I can say, well, I am worthy of it. I've always been worthy of it. And, And being late just stopped instantly. It just ended forever because... I understood what fueled it. We, we need to have a look at what's running my behavior, what lies beneath what I'm doing. What is the role and the function of this self-sabotage, these destructive habits, this acting out? And, and again, there's only three things, and it's either to punish you, to protect you, or indeed to prioritize it. They all begin with P. It, it helps to think that whatever behavior you have that you don't like, whether it's being late acting out, being difficult, or just not allowing yourself to have success or love, that behavior can only be one of three things. It's going to punish you, it's going to protect you, or it's going to prioritize you. You think, well, why would my mind punish me? But if you think, oh, you know, I kissed my friend's boyfriend, I stole money from my mom's purse, I cheated on an exam, the guilt we hold can be so intense that we unconsciously become judge, juror, jailer, and we punish ourselves. We protect ourselves. You know, I've seen many, I've heard this so many times in different ways. When I was 11, my granddad started to molest me, not me, a client. Mm. And I immediately got really heavy or I suddenly got contact dermatitis and then he stopped. So that's that I'm protecting you. If someone's lusting after your body and you're a child and I give you an obese body or a nervous twitch or or chronic asthma, they're probably going to leave you alone. 
And the priorities prioritize me is very simple. I, I need your attention. I don't know if it's good or bad. I just need to be noticed. And I've got this nervous twitch or I'm always late. I do get more attention. I don't want it. I don't like it. But the subconscious mind is like the genie mm. and your wish is its command. And we often make statements like it would kill me if I got ghosted again. I'll die if another client puts the phone on me. My kid is making me want to jump out the window. This commute will be the death of me. And the genie says, oh, a relationship is killing you. Your job is killing you. Your kid is killing you. You can't have another one of those because it, it's so literal. You have to be really be very aware of how you dialogue with your mind. And when you learn to dialogue with it better, your life can be amazing and extraordinary. And it's actually very easy to dialogue with your mind. You just got to be clear. This is what I want, not what I don't want. And I'm worthy of it and deserving of it. And that's why the I'm enough dialogue with your mind is so profound. Mm. No, well, thank you so much for explaining that. And it just shows the power, doesn't it, of just really being able to sort of delve deep and have that understanding, making sense of the behaviours and how it's maybe help, helped you cope. And then to look at it through your adult eyes and beginning to begin to guess, sort of parent yourself in a different way, isn't it? To sort of like, you know, offer yourself that kind of kindness and understanding and acceptance. Yeah, and, and you're so right. It's never too late to have a happy childhood. It's never too late to give yourself the parenting that you weren't given. And what does that mean? A good parent says, I love you just the way you are. It's such an honor to be your parent. I love being around you. And if we all could just take a minute and say that to ourselves, it would be so life-changing. You know, we're all taught if you want a great business, you've got to learn how to talk to your cousin. You want a great job in, in the Jewish religion, they teach you marriage skills, how to dialogue with your partner. But we should be teaching people the biggest thing, well, how to dialogue with yourself, how to have a conversation with you where you praise yourself more because that boosts yourself, or even criticize yourself less because that really minimizes it, where you give yourself all the words you long to hear which stops you being needy and instead makes you empowered. It doesn't make you big-headed at all, by the way. Mm. That dialoguing with yourself, okay, this is what I want and I'm worthy of it. At the most simple level, instead of getting a bit of going, oh, I can't sleep, I, I never sleep, I'm chronic at sleeping, say, wow, I have phenomenal sleeping skills and sleep is coming to me. I have a memory like a sieve. I have a great memory. I'm falling apart. I have phenomenal coping skills it's learning to flip over the negative and install the positive because the mind doesn't go is that true or false is that good or bad useful or helpful it just lets it in anyway you know you make your beliefs and then your beliefs turn right around and make you so you might as well make your beliefs amazing because they often come true mm, yeah they're the power of the mind it's incredible and the power of the spoken word, too, which is even more incredible. Mm, yeah. So it's a real takeaway, isn't it, really? I think from anyone listening to this to really start putting into practice speaking or writing those words that they really need to hear to offer themselves acceptance, validation, feeling good enough. Which is true. But if you want to have a great mind, there's very little work involved. You just 
talk to yourself differently. We all talk to ourselves every day, so you don't have to do anything new. You already do it. Just do it in a better way. I've got this. This is amazing. This is going to work perfectly. Everything is perfect. And that's really all you have to do mm. to yes. change is to talk to yourself. Do something you already do, but do it in a way that's powerful and productive and beneficial. Mm. One thing, Marissa, as well, with, with a lot of my clients as well, is what I really try to give the message of as well is not to... I don't think it's healthy to turn to food, you know, to see their emotions all the time. But as well, some emotional eating, I think, as well, is sort of part of life, isn't it? But it's kind of getting it in the balance, really, and not having it as our only mechanism for sort of soothing and taking care of ourselves, having a whole sort of repertoire of meeting our needs. Yeah, you know, the mind always wants one thing. You know, people who drink, not interested in food. People who take drugs, not interested in food, really. But we all have one thing. And if food is your thing, rather than get rid of it, you know, you, for instance, I don't call food naughty or bad or all forbidden or, wow, mm. let's reward ourselves with chocolate. I don't do that. You can find great food, but if you do eat a chocolate bar, you know, really enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy every bit. I'm going to savor this. I'm going to break. I'm going to really love it rather than bolt it down and think, oh, I feel so bad. I didn't even taste that. I need more now. So a lot of people say, oh, I love food. Well, loving food means you don't abuse it. If you're just eating boxes of Pringles and bars of chocolate, that's not loving food, that's abusing food. So if you decide you love food, love it enough to eat slowly, to savor every bite, to really enjoy it. You know, I'm going to have an ice cream and I'm going to enjoy every bit and go, yeah, that was an ice cream, not the healthy. My body can deal with that because it's actually more important to put good stuff in than to take the bad stuff out. If 80% of your diet is healthy stuff, salads and greens and vegetables and lean protein, then it doesn't matter if you have cake. It's much more important to put good stuff in than to take bad stuff out. And, you know, I, I can say that as someone who spent her 20s living on the very typical, when I worked for Jane Fonda, all the girls lived on diet hot chocolate, diet Coke, diet yogurt, and diet oatmeal, I think, God, that was that. I just ate chemicals because it wasn't healthy oatmeal. Everything had sweeteners in it, and it was just a terrible, terrible diet. And now I eat avocado and oily fish and nuts and seeds, and I weigh less than I weighed then, considering I starved myself and worked out for four hours a day. And my body is far from perfect, but I really love it. I appreciate it. You know, it's here. And I think it's so nice to stop punishing your body and depriving it of food and to love your body. Because when you love it, you think, I've gone from hating my body and trying to force it to change to seeing it as something that should be loved and celebrated and accepted just the way it is. And it's not hard to do that. It's a decision. And decision is a Latin word that means to cut off from, cut off from punishing yourself. Myself as well, I'm a real intuitive, I sort of try to follow intuitive eating principles. So I do eat chocolate and potato chips and <laughs> all those things, but with a lot of self-love. <laughs> yeah, and I, I hope if you yeah. do that, you enjoy every single bite and say that was just mm. yummy. But I, I don't need to do it tomorrow. <laughs> 
I might do it tomorrow. (laughs) Enjoy it. You see, the worst thing is do it, feel guilty, then do it again and feel guilty. That's the definition of madness, doing the same thing and looking for a difference. Yeah. I mean, I do too. I I have to say, if I never ate pasta or rice again for the rest of my life, I wouldn't matter. But bread and potato chips, especially crunchy ones, I love those. So if my husband's eating fries, I'll have them. I really enjoy them. Yes. But I don't feel guilty about it. Yeah. It's all about the relationship, isn't it? Guilt doesn't change anything. If you're going to do it, really, really enjoy it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm so with you. And it's about just it's about choosing the foods you really love, isn't it? It's not about making yourself a dustbin. It's about really thinking, what are the sort of tastes and textures and flavors that I really want to enjoy? And then really celebrating that food, eating it slowly and mindfully. And yeah, you know, food is a pleasurable part of life, isn't it? And it's so worth having a great relationship with it. So Marissa, conscious of time, and I could really talk to you all day, but I just wondered, would you like to sort of share any sort of upcoming projects or courses or things that you would like the listeners to know about? Well, if you have a relationship with food that you'd like to improve, if you go to marissapeer.com, we have a lot of free audios that there's no charge for them. You can take whatever you like. We have them on money blocks, food blocks, health blocks, love blocks, take anything if you want to train with me and do what I do, which really is the best job in the whole world, if you go to rtt.com, you can find out how to train. I've got 10,000 people I've trained all over the world. We train live and online. No background in psychology or therapy is required because the training is, is so thorough. We train you to be both a therapist and a coach, an RTT coach, an RTT therapist, and it's the best job in the world. If you're interested in it at all, just go to rtt.com find out how to apply you might think well I want to have an RTT therapist well they're on rtt.com too so I have three different websites rtt.com for anyone who wants to do what I do and it's an amazing job and and you can learn it in six months and we have payment plans and marissapeer.com if you want some free products and if you want to feel good about yourself, go to imenough.com, join the I'm Enough movement, because I promise you, I guarantee it, it really does change your life in a simple yet profound way. Okay, lovely. Thank you for sharing that, Marissa. And I'll make sure that all the details are in the show notes if people miss that and they want to follow up with you. Yeah, we have a live training in London in July this year and in October, which is really exciting. We train, then we're training in Miami and Los Angeles this year and indeed Mexico too. And next year we're training in Dubai. But are, are most of your audience in the UK or are they everywhere? They're everywhere, but predominantly UK and US. Okay. Well, we have trainings in London, in Northampton, in Los Angeles, in Miami and in Mexico all this year. Mm, gosh, how exciting. <laughs> so exciting. I'm so lucky because I love what I do so much. I'm never, ever going to retire. It gives me <laughs> more than I ever found on cake, that's for sure. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I think I'm still going to be going for a long time yet. <laughs> well, thank you so much, for Marissa, for coming on the podcast today. Really appreciate you giving your time and for sharing all your knowledge and wisdom. So much appreciated. Well, thank you too. It's been amazing. You've been really interesting to talk to. I know what it's like to have an eating disorder. I had one for years. And I also know the joy of not having it. And if I can help anyone in the world be free of that, that's 
just the most amazing thing. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And please do go and check out all of Marissa's details and more about RTT therapy in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to my website, theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. If you'd like to support this podcast, do go to my Patreon account and details in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you would subscribe, rate and review as it helps the podcast reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm -hmm.